It's a quick, informal poll. Have any of you ever had a God moment? Like a moment where you knew God's presence was there with you no matter what? You don't have to explain it, just, just curious. Okay, a few of you. We'll come back to that. Last night, uh, I finished reading David Cohen's fascinating book on Columbine. Now, for those of you who don't remember, and frankly, I don't know how you could forget, Columbine was the original horror story mass school shooting. Nowadays, our country has become so comfortable uh, with mass shootings and bloodlust that we fail to even register emotion at these events when they occur. But there was a time when it was still something that shocked us, and Columbine was the original. Now, because we are so used to media misinformation, we have long since believed the narratives that cable news wanted us to swallow in the wake of the shootings. So these two kids were outcasts, they targeted minorities and Christians, and that this was all related to violent video games. Cohen's book is helping me get to the truth of a lot of things. Now, I've put off reading this book for a couple of years now, mostly because who wants to relive the grisly details of that day? But as I've gotten older, I've given in less and less to the myth of narrative. I'm trying to unlearn a lot of what I have learned so I can be a wise person to my son. And I'm a big believer that a wise person is smart about what they know, honest about what they do not know, and curious about what they should. I want to be more curious. But this is taking me on a dangerous path because it is once again forcing me to confront my call story, my own God moment, which is something I have long since stopped discussing because I've had to repeat it on loop for years. Rachel Scott was a seemingly happy young woman at Columbine about to graduate. She was a devout Christian who enjoyed interpretive dance. There are many more details about her life that I knew once upon a time, yet I have no desire to revisit. She perished at the shooting at Columbine. But when 17-year-old me, about to graduate high school, and I was about, we're looking at four years after what happened, no direction in my life as to what I was going to do next, heard her father speak at a youth convention in Ocean City, I had what might be referred to as a transfigurative moment. And I, the details are fuzzy, but I can somewhat recall them. They're, it's like something that's close to you. You just can almost grab. I remember Jules' song, Hands, playing in the background. And I can tell you this. I've had emotional moments before. Plenty of times I've had them up here. But this was a God moment. For in that moment, I can confess nothing else other than the presence of Christ being in that room. I consider myself a rational person. I don't think it was teenage hysteria. It certainly was not substance abuse. But there was a power, a true power of God in the room with me, and I have never been the same, which is what has made probing the reality of Columbine so scary. I've never known what to make of the transfiguration. I think I say this every year. It's the fourth time I've preached on it. It's always in the gospel that we read right before we begin Lent. It's this random moment in the narrative of scripture before Jesus would set his face toward Jerusalem in those last days. In fact, 
Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking about that in the, on the mountain. But the way that this story does move me is that it is a God moment. That might sound interesting or weird, seeing as how Jesus is the Son of God, but bear with me. You have to understand that up to this point in the story, Jesus has winnowed his list of followers down to a few. He's been baptized, and he has performed some miracles. But there's not a lot of God stuff. In fact, his apostles, his apostles aren't even quite sure if he is the Son of God. Peter would declare it just verses before this text that we read today, and he is the only one who does. So not long after this declaration, Jesus takes his three closest followers, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountain, and Jesus shows them who God is. God places the transfigured, glorified Jesus in between Moses and Elijah, the symbols of the legal and prophetic traditions that he comes from. And God reminds those followers of, that, of who Jesus is, and he commands them to listen to him. Peter, not knowing any better, tries to ruin the moment. He wants to hold on to it for so long, and frankly, who could blame him? How could you not want to stay in a God moment? But it's called a God moment for a reason. It's over before it begins. And that moment shows Peter's level of faith, which mirrors our own. He has seen Jesus feed the 5,000, raise the dead, cure the sick, and yet he needs this transfigured moment to realize that the Son of God has always been there, right in front of him. The indwelling of the living word walked among his disciples, and through baptism, that word walks with us today. Now, I have argued time and time again that if Jesus was standing right here, not transfigured, but looking like his normal self, I'd have no more faith than I did in the five minutes prior to seeing him. And I'd hazard to guess that be true for most of us. It goes to the difference of showing versus telling. Jesus is more about the telling. Oh yes, he does heal plenty of people, but that's been done by prophets before him. There are signs, but they are usually wrapped up in faith. Jesus is not about the miracles. They are but a small part of the story. Instead, Jesus builds relationships with people, embraces them in their pain, tells them how God's kingdom works in parables. He does not walk around and just call down the power of God when he feels like it or when it's convenient for him. He lives in the fulfillment of the law as a human like you and like me. And today's text makes the ministry that Jesus does all the more amplified by giving those followers that he has their God moment. And perhaps God moments have happened to you as well. Some of you have even shared your stories with me when you knew, when you just knew that God was there to deliver you. Maybe you can articulate it and maybe you cannot. And maybe you have not even had those moments. We all experience God differently. But today's gospel is a quick view, a sneak peek at the time to come. We get it right before Lent, a period of inward reflection. 
those mountaintop experiences usually happen as a prelude to some greater responsibility. Jesus would come down from the mountain and be set on the course to Jerusalem. So they must be cherished. I've learned to accept what happened to me as a God moment moving in my life and nothing more. Reading about Columbine helped to explain the events around it, but it took nothing away from my encounter. And not even Peter can accidentally ruin this special moment that he and Jesus' followers are given. Wherever you may seek or experience God in your life, know that whether it be in glimpses or just in your own baptismal journey, that Jesus is walking with you always. He may be hidden in times of struggle. He may be the face of the one who is oppressed, or you may even see him on the mountaintop. It is not for me to tell you how you experience God. But however you do, may you do so with a childlike faith. On the way, at the table, and to the end, may we always proclaim the hidden mystery revealed on Easter. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen.